Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Insidicast. This week we've got a pretty exciting episode. We're going to be marking the 25th anniversary of the cosmic horror, absolute cult classic, Event Horizon. So originally it was released on the 15th of August 1997, but this was in the States, in the UK, where I'm from. This was released on the 22nd of August 1997, which for me, at the recording of this, on the Sunday, it's tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah, that is the episode we're going to cover this week. And boy, there's a lot to get into. So let's not waste any more time. Event Horizon, written by Philip Eisner, and of course directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, uh, is one film that definitely benefited massively from the release to VHS. You know, people renting things from Blockbuster, back in the day, that type of thing, uh, because his initial reaction response was not very good. A lot of people didn't really like it, critics didn't really like it. The initial test screening of this film didn't go very well. Uh, it resulted in quite a lot of extensive reshoots and editing, uh, and obviously removing, I think, of 30 minutes of film, so there was still an unedited version of this film that the world has never seen. I believe, I mean, I heard one story that... It, got lost and they found some copy of the original thing in some uh, sort of waste field somewhere, uh, but it was all incomplete and, and not damaged. But then the most recent story that I've heard was that one of the producers, Lloyd Levin, found a VHS tape with the original rough cut and that essentially he was planning on re-watching it and revisiting the film, but there's kind of no talks of if that film would ever become released. And it was kind of weird because he, he mentioned this in a 2012 interview and then in 2017 he said that he still hadn't watched it. That's five years and, you know, it begs the question if this VHS tape actually exists and it's not just some sort of ploy to keep people interested in Event Horizon and the potentiality of seeing something in the future, especially if they want to do something different with the property, you know, like creating a, a TV series or a uh, a film again, like a remake. So, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder. However, let's get into sort of some of the more details of Event Horizon. So aside from the fact that it has quite an impressive cast, the film has quite an, uh, an impressive attempt at creating cosmic horror. So we're going to get into both of these. It's going to be pretty interesting. Starting with the cast, uh, we have Lawrence Fishburne, who's playing Captain Miller, and then obviously Sam Neill uh, is playing... Uh, William Weir, who is the main doctor, kind of the guy who created the Event Horizon, rather. Kathleen Quinlan as Peters, Joey uh, Richardson as Lieutenant Stark, uh, Richard Jones as T. Cooper, Dave Cooper, uh, Jank Noseworthy as um, Justin, who is the uh, engineer, with Jason Isaac as DJ, the medical doctor, and Sean Pertwee as Smith, who is the pilot. Uh, been in many, many things, that guy. Uh, I think most recently, I believe he was in, um, didn't he play Alfred in, like, the Gotham series, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, and obviously he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah, so, pretty solid cast. That's what you need uh, to create a, a story like this that's quite convincing. Interestingly, I think Sam Neill has been also in an actual film interpretation of a Lovecraftian story. So it's kind of interesting that he's sort of played into this kind of uh, theme in the, in some of his films before. 
perhaps he likes this personally, or perhaps it was just a mistake that he just happened to, well, not like a mistake, but like an accident that he just sort of fell into very Lovecraftian stories. Event Horizon, considered the worst tragedy in space history, a ship that was testing new pioneering uh, travel among space, disappeared for about seven years and then magically reappeared with a distress signal. Uh, so in 2047, it was uh, the new Proxima Centauri and its crew were sent out to essentially investigate and see what had happened to the ship and if anyone was alive. Kind of a similar theme to Alien, and of course I think the original script was a little bit too similar to Alien, so that resulted in quite a lot of the original changes from the script to the actual production of the film. And all they find when they get close to the event horizon is uh, this audio clip that originally they believe was in Latin and says, uh, save me, essentially. Obviously this was not the case that they found later on, it was uh, something a little bit more sinister. So essentially, as they go through the ship, they realize that they're all sharing sort of very weird visions. Everything's a little bit creepy. And of course, there's no one alive. So this sort of really good attempt here of like manipulating the audience perception of like people alive or not. Is there anyone on the ship or not? You know, they're sort of playing with like sounds and, and shadows and people walking around that shouldn't be there, that kind of thing. It's all kind of cool. It makes it feel like... um like a haunted house, you know, I think that's kind of the intention of the film to somewhat to feel like a haunted house in space, which is, again, very similar to what Alien did. But, like, a yeah, it's pulling from the same things, so you've got to give it some leeway, I guess. And then, of course, as the film goes along, we sort of see this descent into madness, something that's very, very similar to a lot of Lovecraftian themes. And, of course, some fear of some cosmic entity that punishes people or you know just the fear in general that you are so far away from anywhere you know one thing they they mentioned quite at the beginning of the film was that they are so far away from anyone who could potentially save them and that really anybody that attempts to do this stuff can never really be saved and a lot of ships in the past have gone out on very long voyages and never come back and that Captain Miller doesn't want his crew to be one of those people. And this kind of gets echoed a lot in his character development, which is quite nice. We learn some backstory that one of his former crew members uh, got caught in a fire and he had to leave them behind. And that he sort of swore he would never let that happen again. It, it's nice. The film does a very good job of this uh, sort of getting into people's backgrounds, bringing out some of the darkness, some of the secrets that people have, and then sort of playing with them with that. And that's that's super interesting. I think the only person, though, that doesn't get this kind of treatment too much is Jolie Richardson's character. Uh, she's the only one that I kind of feel gets the least amount of development throughout this film. It's sort of, she just sort of appears when she's needed, and she does whatever job she's told. There's not really much depth to what's affecting her personally. And also, every time I see her, I can't not think of the fact that she was the woman from 101 Dalmatians. That's like the main film that I remember her from. So anytime that I see her, I just think, oh, it's over the Dalmatians. <laughs> yeah, but in this film, she's she's incredible. And she does a really good job of being very professional in her role in terms of like 
sort of the role on the ship, which makes it extremely believable that she's um in this scenario and it, it sells the entire narrative a lot because of people like her. Um, I think Sean does it as well. Um, as Smith, he he does a very good job as the pilot. You know, he keeps things very very grounded, very like serious and matter of fact. And he does this a lot with all the characters that he plays. He really sells the experience that he brings. I think Richard T. Jones is the only person that really kind of distracted me a lot in this film. I get he was he played Cooper by the way. I, I guess Cooper was meant to be a little bit more comic relief. A little bit more um, sort of the light-hearted approach. It's good. It, it gives the cast some dynamics. Of course, it's all about when you do things and where. And sometimes, I think even towards the end of the film, it started to come off a little bit goofy, a little bit sort of gimmicky in sort of like the pinnacle finale of the film where everything's super serious. And, you know, that's when we start to see some of the actual real horror elements being shown, sort of like more like blood and more like real interpretations of hell and stuff. And then he's sort of still making like random one-liners and being really like random at the moment. But alas, it wasn't. It didn't like ruin the film. It was just distracting sometimes. Uh, so I guess like the main two focal points of the story is Lawrence Fishburne's character is Miller, and then obviously Sam Neill's character is uh, Weir. And these two together have a really interesting dynamic because it's it's very much like a power play. Uh, Miller has lost people in the past he doesn't want this to happen again so despite the fact that he has a mission his number one priority is to make sure that people make it alive he doesn't really have much care for the ship he doesn't really want to be there anyway whereas we seems hellbent <laughs> no pun intended to um secure the event horizon and make it back potentially with the ship because he designed it and obviously he probably had a very good hand in the creation of it and the design of it. So for him, that is his ship, almost. So you get into this kind of interesting situation where there's a power dynamic of who is really in charge because of what ship they're on. And obviously we are sort of succumbs to some of the horror that the ship brings. And because of that, he tends to be more in control. Obviously, in a bit of an evil way. <laughs> so the film does a... A really good job as well of slowly building so we have some really despite the fact that the editing is really choppy and fast-paced and then that's down to sort of down to the timing that the film had to be produced because it was sort of coming out around the same time as titanic and they were worried that titanic was going to fail so they wanted to push this film out first to kind of distract from that i think i think it was paramount i think they were kind of hoping that this was going to be some sort of really fun interesting space story and then obviously with that initial test screening it says a lot and i think they're kind of horrified by some of the some of the uh scenery and it's crazy because apparently a lot of the the gore and you know the orgies and sort of the weird stuff apparently there's more footage of that that we never got to see some may beg the question whether seeing more of that actually changes anything in the story and then makes it better and I, I totally get that personally like I think it would have been cool to see that and see some of the the deleted footage that probably give more context and character building to other people, which was clearly cut down because, you know, the story is focused around some people specifically more than others. So I guess the real thing to sort of talk about and 
they can get into the real depths of is is this a good attempt of creating a cosmic Lovecraftian horror? I'd say yes and no. I think it's probably one of the best interpretations that we've had in film, in any kind of physical media, but I don't think it is the best sort of interpretation of a Lovecraftian thing that we could get. And don't get me wrong, I think actual you know, video interpretations or actual creations that were Lovecraft stories are actually very good either. You know, I mean, I like Reanimator, but I don't like quite a lot of the other Lovecraftian film interpretations that have been made. Usually because the second you create something, you take away a lot of the horror from it because people get a visual representation of what it looks like. Event Horizon does a very good job of avoiding this by never directly showing you what the horror is. It's more subtle, it's more implied, it kind of gives the audience some time to create their own thoughts and theories about what is actually going on. But of course, there's a film at the end of the day, so they need to have some physical representation embodiment of, you know, the antagonist of the film, which just ends up being weird. So it's kind of, it's as scary as weird is. So yeah, it's it's creepy, but, you know maybe without all that extra footage of the craziness, maybe we're missing some more uh, of the impact of what this stuff looks like. Because at, at the end of the day, if you can't physically show something that would be inconceivable to see or understand or acknowledge in some kind of Lovecraftian style, if you're going to create something for people to look at, there may as well just be more of that. Because then whatever that is, people will be afraid of, if that makes sense. So if it's just, if it's gore, if it's like creepy things, if it's like, you know, things running at the screen, if it's people screaming in whatever way, it's like, you may as well just show more of that, unless you do the opposite and pull away from it and show almost none of it, but just to have everything be implied. The film sort of has to sit in this weird middle ground, I think, because of the way the initial screening was meant to be. I think the film was meant to have more of that content and give people more to sort of like wince over because of the way that the film made people feel you have to cut back so it kind of puts it in this weird limbo area for me anyway plus you got to think of the many things with Lovecraftian themes and, and sort of with Cosmic Horror the reason why he came up with a lot of this stuff was because obviously society at the time was heavily religious people were substantially more Christian than they are today um, and of course it was, in many ways, his sort of rejection of that, despite probably himself being raised as a Christian, he probably acknowledged it through our more expanding knowledge of space and, and what is out there begs more questions than it answers. And that in itself can be a very terrifying thing for a lot of people because people are very comfortable with having answers and in many ways this is not to get very controversial with religion but like this is usually what religion does right religion sells you that full package you don't have to worry about what's out there in space you don't have to worry about anything that happens after death you don't have to worry about you know good and bad it's all predetermined it's all prejudged uh, it's all explainable so to have any kind of situation where things become more ambiguous because of expanding but still limiting knowledge creates a lot of fear for it people and this is why a lot of Lovecraftian stories were not successful when he was alive and 
became more respected as modern thinking developed, essentially. So in many ways, for me, Lovecraft is a rejection of those religious themes. Event Horizon tries to incorporate religious themes within the cosmic horror, and it's not that you can't do that. It's just it doesn't make it 100% Lovecraft in my mind. I think it would be more telling to have the events in Event Horizon show a complete rejection of faith and bring more of the existential doom of space, things that could be in space, things that could be in different dimensions that are either indifferent to us or want to cause harm to us. That's quite a significant part of cosmic horror. There's, yeah, there's always an element of, you know, indifference, but there is also an element of malevolence and evil, at least evil in our interpretation, because we'd be the victims of that. So it's very interesting. It's not that it's a bad job, and I think incorporating religious themes in many ways makes it palatable for people, because I think it's the best way to understand what Lovecraft was getting at without necessarily explaining it to people over like a three, four hour film. But at the same time, if I was going to put like a definition of it, I would say like, it's not strictly Lovecraft, but it's a very good cosmic horror. I think that's how I'd sort of word it. And one of the best things about Event Horizon for me is even just how ambiguous the ending is, there's no, it's not made clear to the audience whether or not they're actually being saved or whether they're just dragging more people into the hell of Event Horizon. Of course, if we take the interpretation that the ship itself is alive, that it's been to some place and become infected with something, then every inch of that ship would equally be alive, including the bit that they're waiting for rescuing. So uh, it's never quite... It's never quite sold as everything is resolved. And it also makes you wonder as well whether the hallucinations that the crew feel, its effect on them physically and mentally, means that they are also infected. In which case, an attempt of rescuing them could be seen as a bad thing in many ways. It, it would almost be like it would almost be like Ripley at the end of Alien returning to Earth <laughs> with a xenomorph without actually taking care of anything first. Do you know what I mean? It'd, it'd be bringing this evil back to our universe, our solar system. You know, not that it doesn't not that it doesn't exist from our universe and solar system. Obviously it does, but bringing it closer to home as opposed to in some abandoned place near Neptune. It's quite a, quite a different um, quite a different situation to be in, for sure. Definitely makes you wonder, especially if they ever made like a sequel one day or like a spin-off or, you know, these days, as Scream would call them, they would call them like, like a requel. <laughs> some sort of, let's go back to the events of the first film, rehash it, but actually it's also a sequel. And maybe we'll bring in some of the old cast. <laughs> Never know. Uh, yeah, so super interesting film. I think one thing the film surprises me a lot of, though, is just how well it 
tries to maintain things in a like a realistic perspective. You know, there's a lot of crazy things that happen, a lot of crazy hallucinations, but they never try to let it just devolve into chaos until towards the end of the film. Like even when um even when Weir is, is having visions of his wife, he's still snapping somewhat back into reality and then going back to the rest of the crew and then sort of cracking on with the job. It's the kind of interesting aspect of keeping secrets, you know, potentially painful secrets, potentially uh, guilty secrets, dark secrets, which is, you know, you try not let them show face to people. And what the ship does is takes those secrets and shows them to you. In many ways, it's, it's confronting your own demons, which you would think would save you from hell or save you from some type of uh, eternal punishment. But according to the Event Horizon, no. It's just fuel. Uh, it's just f feeding uh, the, the nature of the ship and what it wants to inflict onto other people. So the film is not without flaws. And I'll take a, a brief bit of time here just to talk about some of the things that 100% did not work for me in this film. I think the main thing is not necessarily wholly down to the film's fault, but somebody editing is a little bit over the top. I mean, if you had epilepsy, good luck. The flashing sequences is just crazy. And I, I get it, there's a lot of footage they had to take out, but they still wanted to hint at all this footage because, I mean, they filmed it, so they want to use it to somewhat. Uh, I think there's potentially better ways that we could have incorporated this without just over-glaring, flashing images. I do think sometimes, I think some aspects of the film really ask you to suspend a lot of disbelief. For example, it would be pretty crazy to assume that people could survive on a ship for seven years without any food or water. I mean, I'm no expert in space travel, but I would imagine that a lot of these ships aren't equipped with that much food and water because quite a lot of the time you're hypersleeping, so you'd only need supplies for when you're actually awake. But of course, in a lot of these films, they get woken up early or like they have to stay uh, awake through periods of time that they were unintended. But because of that, it, it kind of has a knock-on effect of a lot of the decision-making that happens, like going on the ship, let's search around and look at everything because someone might be alive. It's like... There's no physical way someone could be alive, even if you were picking up some kind of reading that <laughs> there was life forms on the ship. It, it, that's just impossible to me. And then, of course, I think the big thing as well is that because of a lot of the content taken out of the film, a lot of the context taken out of the film, uh, some of the cosmic horror themes are just a little bit too abstract sometimes. And... I can see why a lot of people struggle with this film actually meaning something, you know, sort of like, and I get it, you know, the, the whole thing like, oh, you haven't seen what I've seen, I've seen the darkness, the darkness is in me, like, you know, always alluding to something grander and spooky, but because we don't get any visual payoff, uh, it really kind of hurts the film a little bit, because I think if we're going to go into the madness, we should see the madness. But yeah, that aside, like, it's a stellar film. You can see why it's become a cult classic. The absolute attention to detail, not only in the set pieces, um, the costuming, you know, the, 
the practical, the visual effects were pretty good for its time. The practical effects are great. Um, lots of explosions, lots of sparks and, and fireworks and stuff. Like, gotta love all that. I love all these amazing shots of sort of like the the core of the ship, the spinning lights, and you, you see it in people's eyes reflecting. Love that kind of thing. That's really cool. That's a really good visual way to interpret that the ship is now targeting somebody and that they're seeing something. Um, and, and seeing something is always kind of a, a core theme for this film. I mean, it, it's quite a Lovecraftian theme anyway. There's a lot of Lovecraftian stories where people have visions of things in space or they've seen things that are beyond our comprehension and that drives them to insanity. Seeing things is quite an expected trend. But the thing is, is like, a lot of the theme is also about removing eyes because you don't need eyes to see things. It's like, yeah, I get that. If you want to have some ambiguity to the situation, but it has to be, in my mind, somewhat relatable. And I think this is why this film just doesn't quite feel Lovecraft to me. I think it just kind of misses some of those points. And I don't think it was really intended to be Lovecraft. I think it was intended to be more like Alien, but they had to change things as opposed to like Lovecraft, but then try to make it more relatable and make it more like Alien, which people sort of expected at that time. I think it's the reverse of what people are thinking and people try and put so much additional emphasis on all this stuff without thinking of the context of their, their framework when they're making the film. And by the way, when I say like it has to be relatable, what I mean is like, you'd have to imagine that to experience the same type of cosmic horror, the same type of existential dread of, of something being existing beyond comprehension, you have to be able to imagine yourself in that situation. And most people would never be able to imagine themselves in that situation if they had to pull out their own eyes, because most people would never think like that. However, doing some kind of, I don't know, ritual, some kind of whatever to sort of get this information uh, it can be a little bit more of an easier access to people and you know some people might think i'm being crazy saying that but like i guess you gotta think that it's a film dedicated for hollywood aimed at mainstream audience this isn't a film that is designed for fans of lovecraft this isn't a film that's designed for people who already had an interest in cosmic horror, a lot of this stuff was extremely, extremely niche, probably when this film came out, and has only added to that fandom, not been a result of that fandom. So you have to try and picture this from a perspective of, is this readable to an audience? And if it is not readable to an audience, in the most simplest way, some of the themes will be missed on people. And this is why you'll have countless and countless Event Horizon Explained videos on YouTube, because sometimes things can just be a little bit too ambiguous and a little bit too reaching for people that aren't understanding where the influence comes from. And especially as well, when a lot of that theme comes from the retrospective look at the film, filtered through a very specific lens as opposed to what the film was when they made it and what they intended it to be. 
<laughs> that is my thoughts and feelings about Event Horizon. Big happy anniversary to that film, 25 years. Pretty cool. Uh, it's nice to see that it wasn't butchered with sequels. It's nice to see that it wasn't butchered with remakes. And hopefully it's a property that if we do ever get more of an insight in in the future, that it'll be something with equal amount of respect as the people who made it. And with these days, there is almost no filter in what can be put on screen. Uh, so we'll probably get all those graphic scenes that we had stripped away from us. Uh, and that's also part of the reason why it kind of makes me feel a bit sus about this supposed VHS copy of the un unedited original draft. Um, there is nothing stopping people from putting that into some bonus features or extended version of the film. They would make money on it. And the fact that they haven't <laughs> begs the question. But that is something I will leave you to debate. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Uh, if you would have seen my Instagram post today, you will see that I have some episodes lined up. Pretty exciting. I post what those episodes are going to be. So you can guarantee to see these episodes coming at you very, very soon. Thank you all very much for listening. I'll see you all in the next episode.